Well, the hymn is number 313, number 313. And let's stand together as we sing. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then wherever you go. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how Hope of earth and joy. If you just came in, it's number 313. Take the name of Jesus ever as a shield from every snare. When temptations round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven, precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy. Now the last stanza, at the name of Jesus ever, falling prostrate at his King of kings in heaven when our journey is complete precious name oh how sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven precious name oh how sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven all right you can be seated as you are seated Turn over to number 285. I will sing of my Redeemer. Number 285. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer, with His blood He purchased me on the cross. the dead and made me free. Now, verse number three, I will praise my dear Redeemer, His triumphant power. How the victory given over sin and death and hell. Sing, oh, sing of my sing of my Redeemer and His help. 
from death to life has come. Son of God with him to be. Sing, oh, sing. He purchased me. Five hundred eighty-five. And while you're turning, in case you don't have a cell phone on, if you're eating something, now's not a good time to do that. If you notice on the screen, <laughs> five eighty-five is our offertory hymn, number five eighty-five. We'll sing the first and last verse. We'll stand for the last one. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God... All right, let's stand together. Ushers, you come as we sing the last. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is all. your blessings, name them. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. And let's pray together. Father, we're grateful tonight for the blessing you give us to worship to serve you in this beautiful church. I pray you'll uh, guide our time tonight, be with Brother Daniel as he comes to bring a message and just uh, help us as we go forward in this new year to be a blessing to this in the community and those we serve in Jesus' name, amen.
in big cities with a hundred skyscrapers and tiny towns with one stoplight, on college campuses and Native American reservations, and churches too many to count. Hundreds of thousands of men and women and boys and girls have made hundreds of thousands of life-changing decisions. Almost none of them knew her name, and yet she was there. Annie Armstrong lived more than a hundred years ago. Only this one picture of her survives. History could have easily forgotten her, but Annie Armstrong is worth remembering. In the late 1800s, when most women had no voice, Annie was one of the first to speak up. First, for the urban poor in her hometown of Baltimore, and then for Southern Baptist missionaries around the world who desperately needed support. It was for these people that she helped start the National Women's Missionary Union. As its first executive leader, she gave women a platform in their local church and in ways that they'd never done before. These women helped focus Southern Baptist attention on the hurting and the lost and the missionaries trying to reach them. Annie wrote letters, 18,000 in just one year. And she traveled across America, encouraging missionaries and inspiring churches to pray, to give, and to act. She worked long hours, paid her own expenses, and refused to accept a salary. And in the darkest days of the Depression, right before she died, an offering was named after her. Today, the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering helps missionaries in the U.S. and Canada start new churches and meet needs through Compassion Ministries. Over the years, Southern Baptists have given more than $1 billion to that offering, and 100% of it, every penny, has gone straight to the mission field. There's still work left to do. The need is bigger than ever, and that's why even though she lived more than a century ago, and even though only one picture of her survives, Annie Armstrong's influence lives on. Because today in North America, just as it's been from the beginning, anywhere a missionary is sent, every time a new church is born, anytime someone gives to her offering so that a lost person might be found, Annie is there. That is a, obviously a video about Annie Armstrong. Now, Annie Armstrong, I know we just finished Lottie Moon, so I'm not here parading Annie Armstrong videos. Nine days ago, I was at our North American Mission Board there in Alpharetta, Georgia. I had the opportunity to go and stop by. Um, you all know we have somebody in our church. Uh, Cindy Henderson works for North, the North American Mission Board, and um, she specifically works with the Send Relief, and they have a big effort right now in Puerto Rico. So, her and her husband are going to Puerto Rico, spending a lot of time down there. She's really the organizer of all the different teams that are going on mission trips to Puerto Rico. I know Puerto Rico is not in the U.S., but it's, a, I guess, a province of the U.S. But um, it's uh, exciting that our church, our two big mission offerings, are obviously Lottie Moon, which just wrapped up, um, or I guess it, you know, folks can still continue to give to it, but obviously it's over Christmas. And then right after that is Easter. Now, I show that because uh, this is our Sunday night service. We're about to make a run. Our next, you know, 
the month of December, you know, we have two Sunday nights that we cancel the Sunday evening service because um, folks are traveling out ta- town. And then throughout the month of December, we have a lot of uh, Christmas uh, events on Sunday evenings, a lot of Christmas cantatas, which is good, Christmas choirs. But the next four and a half months, the next time we actually do not have Sunday evening service is on Easter, which is April 20th. So I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. We are going through the book of Luke. We're going to wrap it up during this period. So we're on, uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. We will finish it before Easter, the book of Luke. So uh, because we have a, like 16 Sundays in a row that we have, uh, have evening worship service. So Sunday evening church to me is a blessing because this is a time that we focus on discipleship. It's a time where we're going through this gospel here that uh, Dr. Luke wrote for us, uh, telling us a story. It's my favorite book of the Bible. So we, we're going to turn there. Um, I want to tell you, um, I shared the Sunday morning schedule for the new Sunday morning sermon series uh, called Now, that, obviously this coming Sunday morning, and was sharing about how we're going to have Gary Miller in two weeks on Sunday morning preach. So then, while I'm in Israel, so then you say, well, you know, who's going to preach this Sunday night service? And that's Todd Ott. So Todd Ott will be here. Todd's a great blessing, and uh, Todd's a, a, a credible Sunday school teacher here at our church, and uh, just uh, has a great knowledge of the scripture. So he'll be preaching two weeks from tonight. So that's our, um, and then it's back, uh, back to me. So after that, but turn in your Bibles. This is a message here on Jesus's requirements for discipleship. He calls every single one of us to be a disciple of Him. And this is something for us. Any opportunity to grow closer to Christ and to put Him first, we certainly need to do that. And that's what we're about to see. And um, I want to give you the context of before we read this here. It's in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Then we always have a... Um, uh, additional scripture, and then we're going to turn over in a little bit to John chapter 20. I want to explain what a rededication is uh, when folks uh, re- rededicate their life. If you have your bulletin, you always need to have your Sunday night bulletin. Pull out your bulletin insert here, and uh, I want you to be able to follow along. Uh, the question we're going to answer tonight is what if your entire life you have misunderstood Christian discipleship? This word we throw around all the time discipleship discipleship this is what discipleship is discipleship is taking someone who's spiritually lost who does not know the lord they get saved and then they begin to grow in the lord and growing means they start getting in god's word they start developing a prayer life they start having a passion for jesus they actually want to be at church then they become reproducible in their growth while they're growing they start sharing the good news with other folks. They start going on mission trips, like our church, going to Panama, going to Salt Lake City. They start uh, serving in the communities. They start witnessing other folks. And then they start leading other people to Jesus, and it just creates a cycle. That is God's expectation. Discipleship, being a follower of Christ, understanding Christian growth, we can make it so much more complicated than it really is. I think a lot of times what we think of, when we think of discipleship, we think of a class. We think of a conference. We think of your Sunday school book. And yes, that's certainly a big component of it, but daily discipleship, we are about to see. When it comes down to it, 
Daily discipleship is Jesus Christ. Is He first in my life? Is He above and beyond any other priority? And that's what our goal is. And I'll tell you, the answer to that is you can evaluate your heart by observing your choices. You can look at how someone makes choices, what they talk about, what they do, how they spend their money, and that really shows what type of person they are. Like, you know, I believe our church is filled with disciples. I'm not going to say who, but I had a male or a female come this morning, and they saw... Um, we set a goal for, our goal for uh, um, uh, Lottie Moon, it was in the bulletin anyway, it was, it's $23,500. Last year we raised just over $20,000, which is great. And um, we're at uh, $13,500, so we're about $10,000 or so dollars away from our goal. And I had this person come to me, and this person said, Daniel, it bothers me that we didn't reach our goal. And I said, well, ma'am or sir, do you have your checkbook? You can write one check right now. We can, anyway, I didn't say that. But that, that desire to say, hey, if we as a church are going to be serious about giving to missions, because I think God puts us in different seasons in our life. There's a time when you can go. I remember, and, and there's, a, there's a time also that you have to stay home. When you, if you have a bunch of kids, it's just hard to pack up and go. Then there's a season in your life that maybe right when you retire, you're still able to go. You're able to go again. But then as you maybe age and it gets, it's more physically challenging, you might not be able to go, but you can certainly give. Everyone can give something to missions. And our missionaries, when you give, to Lottie Moon, or this offering to Annie Armstrong, you might not be able to go to Salt Lake City or go to Panama as they reach the indigenous people there on the Colombian, Colombia and Panamanian border, but you are actually enabling others to do that. I want you all to know what's going on in Panama is the IMB has found a strategic location there's some indigenous unreached people groups along the border of Panama and Colombia. And Cheryl and uh, Ken, Kenny Morris, former members of our church, are working with those folks, and they're built and bought like a couple acres of land of a training center so they can train the, the nationals. And then it's on a river, Hake. It's an extreme southern um, southern Panama, along the uh, uh, Pacific Ocean side, and they train folks, the nationals, who then, because you know, they might not know the language of the folks there, of their different dialects, so then the nationals are able to go into, um, really into the jungle and share the gospel. Usually those folks speak two languages. They speak Spanish, and then they speak their native language. So Kenny and Cheryl obviously know Spanish, so they're able to share Spanish talked in Spanish with them, and then they able to go and talk to the folks, those nationals, in their heart language. That's one of the ways that the IMB is getting into Colombia, literally, because it's going through the indigenous peoples. That's a more challenging country to certainly serve in. Now that there, and what what our part of it, you see in the bulletin about that construction project, they bought this land. They're going to build a training center. And it's going to be a two-week mission trip that Danny Snyder's heading up to send a team down there, really it's a construction team, and to build that. Now, some of you are, have no, there's no way for you to be able to do that. You cannot physically go and do that. 
but you can give and certainly support that mission and help enable other folks to certainly do that. All right, open your Bibles. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Look what it says here. The cost of following Jesus. Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. So we just see this unusual passage here that Jesus shared about what it means to follow Jesus. I want to pull several things, um, what, he just, uh, what he just shared with us. The main point we see in this entire passage is that our possessions, the things in our desire that we desire today will hinder our relationship with the Lord. They will prevent us from knowing Jesus better. And that's what he says right here when he says your possessions, if you don't renounce them, you will not and you cannot be my disciple. Now, it's interesting in this passage, Jesus starts this off. Some of his hardest teachings always are prefaced by something important. They're prefaced by a large crowd. And in verse 25, it says there was a great crowd around Jesus. Jesus was one of these guys, the bigger the crowds went, the harder his teachings came. He was not impressed by numbers. Now, numbers do matter today. Numbers matter because people matter to God. God expects us um, you know, to be reaching people. So if you're reaching people, obviously your numbers should be increasing. You know, as your numbers are increasing, your giving should be increasing. Your mission's going, your mission's giving. All of that should be in the positive when you are reaching people with the Lord, when the gospel is being taught with that. But what we see here, if you pull out your little white piece of paper, I want you to follow along right here. The, there are four prices in your, in your notes you have. Four prices must be paid. So here they are. We're going to look here at the four prices, and then we're going to look at the four requirements. Because there's four prices we see here is that your family is not first. It's not. Jesus makes very clear. Verse 26, what we just see here. People love family time, which is great. But Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and he goes on name, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my son. What Jesus is saying here is that God's time comes before family time. How great is it to spend time with your family, but at the end, your family 
Your family doesn't save you when you pass away. You don't stand in front of the Lord and says, God, I was a good family man. There's a lot of good family men, a lot of good mothers out there who actually teach their children schooling and help them be successful in life, and they're going to hell. They are separated from God. Like right now, we have youth group downstairs. We have a wanna group going down downstairs. Those are, those are children whose parents brought their kids and serving there with their kids, and they're teaching them the Bible. They're investing in them. That's a good choice to make. You're saying, I could sit at home and spend time with my family, but instead, I am going to put the Lord first. Jesus is using hyperbole here, obviously, to show to us, obviously, he's not telling us to hate our parents. That would break the fifth commandment, honor your father or mother. What he is showing us, I want you to really understand this, that your love for Jesus should be so strong and so passionate that your, your, your desire for him will be so much that all of your other relationships actually look like you hate them because you love Jesus that much. That is, that's what he's saying here, to be a disciple. And I think, what, I think what how we see that today, that is illustrated by when you see a father or a mother or hopefully a couple, when they make it, they make it a priority, says we're going to be at church every time the doors are open. We're going to support the Lord. We're going to support whatever mission opportunities, mission giving. It, 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 even when other things could be planned, the Lord's events and the Lord's priority comes in front. That's what it looks like. Number two, you carry the cross. This is our verse 27 here. You carry the cross by denying yourself. Selfishness is antithetical to the gospel. What this means here in number two, in verse 27 it says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Bearing your own cross means saying, God, I'm not going to put my selfish desires. Think of all the other things you could have been doing tonight. All the other priorities you have. Following after the Lord, denying yourself and putting others first is what he means by saying, I'm not going to live a selfish life. Number three, salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. Jesus illustrates this by two examples. He says, what if you start building a tower? In verse 28, don't you first make sure you have enough money and the materials to actually build it? Have you ever known of anybody that started something and is never finished? Maybe you started a home project and it wasn't because you didn't have the money, you just didn't finish it because there's other things that came along and there's other priorities. Jesus is saying here, when you make a commitment to do something, He doesn't want halfway people. He's looking for someone that when you sign up in the line to be a disciple, when you sign up to be a member of our church, when you say, I'm ready to follow Christ, He's saying there's no turning back. Who starts to build something and doesn't finish? What king here goes to war knowing you're going to lose? Who picks a fight with someone knowing you're going to lose the battle? Do you know in football, um, 
Like if you're a really good football team and, and you go and schedule uh, like a, a team that's not in the Power Five conference, you always wonder, says, why do these really good football teams schedule these dinky games? It's not because the dinky teams think they're going to win. They're doing it before the money. So there was always a motive because they know there's a certain payout they get by playing a really good team if they're selected to play something like that. So they might agree they, each university gets $1.5 million if they play this team. But what, why, would a, why would a dinky team schedule a really good team knowing you're not getting any money, you're not getting any TV time, you're not getting any benefits for you, and probably there's a 99.9% chance you're going to lose. But not just lose, you're going to lose by 60 points. Most of us would think, why would you go into a battle knowing you're going to come up on the short end? That's what he's saying right here. Discipleship is the same way. You, when you sign up to follow Christ, you count the cost. Meaning, you know it's going to require everything of you. When you sign the dotted line to be a, become a believer in Jesus, and you're going to follow Him, you have given everything to the Lord. He owns it all. Number four we see here, the things of this world purposely interfere with your relationship with Christ. Verse 33, I read it earlier, in the same way, every one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. He makes it very clear. I tell you, this is illustrated. If you look up on the board, you can see here, follow along with your, um, uh, your little handout. There's a question here. Here's how you put it into practice. Am I willing to hate all other relationships? Meaning, Jesus, are you, are you first and foremost in order to receive the most important relationship? Am I willing to die to my own desires and plans in order to live for God's will? Meaning, God, I'm not going to have a selfish life. I am going to live for you. And not only that, am I willing to sacrifice my possessions, meaning what I own, what I've worked for, for the advancement of the kingdom of God? Lord, are you first with that? Turn in your Bible to uh, keep your finger here in Luke chapter uh, 14. Turn in your Bible to the book of John, John chapter 20. One of the things I think what happens with us when we hear messages on discipleship, uh, two things either happen. You either say, many folks right here saying, well, that's me, Daniel. I qualify. I'm a disciple. I've been in church my whole life. I do all these things. I'm always here, especially a Sunday night crowd. Folks are very faithful, very supportive. You are a disciple. You're here every time those doors are open. Or the second thing, what happens here, when you hear a discipleship message, you, you hear this stuff and you think, Daniel, I, I, I'm too far. Like I, I've already tripped up a long time ago. I didn't make the cut. I'm not a disciple. What, what do I do? And I think the answer for that is really a rededication. And we see this very clear. One of the disciples was named Thomas. And unfortunately... He got, the, he got the label as Doubting Thomas. And we're about to read the story why, but he did something significant. He did something significant that so many of us, we need to be able to do. Because if you feel like, okay, at one point maybe I was living 100% for the Lord, but for whatever reason, I have fallen short. I'm no longer meeting these requirements. I'm, um, I'm, 
I'm, I'm down in the dump. This story of Thomas is for you. John 20, verse 24. Look what happens right here. This is for the disciple who, who had fallen, yet who also can be recommissioned. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So what this means is Thomas did not see Jesus' resurrection right away. So he knows Jesus is dead, and he doesn't believe he's alive. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. It's breaking news. But he said to them, this is Thomas speaking, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger of the mark in the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas is one of these guys, when he hears some breaking news, he's skeptical, he's a doubter. He says, I don't believe it. It's not for me. It's, um, you know, I'm the king. I get more telemarketing phone calls than everyone. And I know y'all get them too. It's, it's out of control. The church gets telemarketing phone calls. We get them, and I answered one just this week. It's a machine. Congratulations, sir. You've won a million dollars. Now, you've all got this. It's not even a human. Who on earth believes that? I really, I hang up on, obviously I hang up. All, all, all of you hang up. Who would even waste your time listening to this stuff? But what human on earth actually, I, I, I hang up thinking, who on earth actually would believe this? No one. And that's literally, Thomas, I want you to understand, Jesus was dead. What if I had a heart attack and I died this week? And this week on Thursday, I died tonight, we had a funeral here. Right here, funeral service. Brother Hertz shared some words, and <clears throat> maybe y'all came and visited, and told Sherry you're praying for her and the ch- family, and re- reached out and uh, brought her a meal. And then, um, that was Thursday. Like, there, Thursday, I'm in the cemetery down here. And y'all come to church on um, Sunday. you got a guest preacher now getting together the pastor search committee. Got to go find the new preacher because your former one's in the graveyard over there. And all of a sudden, um, some of the guys were standing over here. And, and you're right there. And they, one of them walks over and says, have you heard the news? Um, you know, Daniel Osmond, he's alive. <laughs> he's not dead. I mean, you just would not believe it. There's no way you would believe it. Like, we see this story and go, how could Thomas doubt? Why would Thomas not believe? It's Jesus. Of course, I wouldn't ever be like Jesus. But if you came to church knowing you saw the burial, you were at the funeral service, you saw me lowered down into the grave, and then a few days later you're at church, and you're hearing someone say, have you not heard? The guy's alive. We, we don't need a pastor's search committee. He's coming back. So, and now some of you go, oh no. So with that, but, <laughs> but what, it would be challenging, challenging for you to believe this. So I think what we see here is I think in many ways, we are just like Thomas. We would be just like this man when he hears the breaking news. We were not there the first time, and he's hearing secondhand information about what Jesus has done. He's resurrected. And our first, re- our first re- 
response is, no, you're lying. And that, that's how I, I would be just like this man. Every single one of us would be that way. And he says, you know, I'm not going to believe you unless I can. Not only do I need to see him, I'm going to go touch him, put my hand in the holes and actually touch the man and verify that he's alive. There's no way. A week later, so understand, a week went by. Like, Thomas said no. Jesus is dead. A week goes by, his disciples were indoors again. And Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Jesus walked, this is the new glorified body. Jesus walked through doors. There won't be doors in heaven because you can walk right through them. We see a picture just like Jesus' glorified body. Our, glory, our heavenly body would be the same way. Jesus walks through the door and says, Peace be with you. That's a common greeting back then. And right away he turns to Thomas and he says, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it at my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. He's calling Thomas to believe. He's asking Thomas to make a rededication. He said, Thomas, at one point, you did not believe. You went from a believer to a non-believer. You fell back. But now he's asking for that belief again. And he extends his hands out. That's a rededication right there, what Christ was asking for. Listen, if you've gone through that season of falling away, you've gone through that season of, you, I'm just struggling, I, I don't even know if I want to go to church anymore, I don't like this church, I don't like the Bible, whatever it would be, or God didn't answer my prayer, Jesus Christ is looking and asking for that same belief. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God, he affirmed it. I often wondered, did Thomas actually put his hands and Jesus is uh, in the holes. Did Thomas put his hand to the side? I don't think he did, because I just think Jesus busts in the room through the door. He's walking through the door and says, Hey, touch me. Look, I'm picking everything up. If you don't believe me, go ahead. Put your hand in the hole and see, I'm alive. Jesus said, Because you've seen me, you have, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. You know who that is? That's us. Thomas believed because he saw Jesus. We're even more blessed because we haven't seen Jesus and we've believed. A rededication is when you rededicate your Lord. Some of the most fired up believers I've ever known are folks who've rededicated their life. They maybe went through a season of sin. They went through a season of falling away. They turned their back on the Lord for whatever reason or they just dropped out. And they said, it's my fault. I need to make a recommitment in their own fire for Jesus. I'll never forget a man. I'm not going to tell, tell his name because he's still alive. He had that same story. He, at one point, he was saved and baptized as a young man, and God, uh, God blessed him. He had a business, uh, yet the sad thing is, is he got divorced. His children went wild. While his business flourished, he, his whole surrounding areas around him collapsed and the difference is he knew better because he was saved and born again he made a rededication he made a recommitment because the lord spoke to him and said so and so because you aren't putting me first this guy was a deacon this is a guy's a leader in a church committed everything around him was falling apart and he was drifting away from the lord he recommitted his life 
and God slowly started putting those people back into his life. It started changing the folks around him, started rebuilding his family again. But he, his testimony is he had to make, until he made that rededication to the Lord, until he realized that the Lord comes before his business, from his selfishness, from his priorities, only then could God start doing it. That is exactly for some of the story. For so many folks, God is asking for us as a disciple, is he first and foremost in your life? Here in this story, Thomas for a week, he was a doubter. He had turned back from the Lord. I want to read this little quote here, right here towards the bottom. If you turn back, quit, drop out, isolate yourself, lose interest, grow cold or stop, it proves that you never knew him. In fact, one of the Bible verses in Matthew 24, verses 10 through 13, it actually says in your Bible, it says one of the signs of the end times is that the love for other people will grow cold. Growing cold means people are selfish. You fight against selfishness daily. It's what I want, my priorities. Sherry sent me this afternoon to Walgreens. <laughs> I had to go to Walgreens to buy something this afternoon at 3.30 and 4 o'clock, so I'm driving over there. And what I saw is a perfect picture of America. So I'm driving to Walgreens, Arrow Nicholasville Road, which means it took forever because traffic is just all out of control. So, and there's a little road. When I turn down Monticello, there's this little cut-through road to get over to Keithshire. I don't even know the name of it. But it has these speed bumps, and you have to go so slow, and the cars park on it. It's just a traffic jam all the time going through this little cut-through road. And um, the school bus is there, although there weren't any today, but there's uh, just lots of cars. Well, there's some apartments there on that road. And I'm driving by one mile an hour because the speed bumps, they slow you down. And there was these two girls getting in a car. I'm not kidding. They, they couldn't have been more than 18 years old. And uh, I guess one of them had a car, had their driver's license. They're hopping in a car. And like their car's right there, on, parked on the side of the road. And it looked like they were dressed up going to a party that night. In fact, they were dressed up going to a party. And I watched them because, you know, I'm poking along because I could see everything happening. It was literally right next to me. And this one girl, as I'm driving by, one hops in the car and the other stops. She opens the door partially. It couldn't open it too far. It hit my car because we're right there. She opens it partially, stops, fixes her hair, pulls out her phone, and takes a picture of herself, bl blocking traffic. We're all, I mean, the whole street's watching this. The girl's probably 17, 18 years old. I mean, you have to just laugh. I mean, I'm just going to Walgreens. And then she took her picture, hopped in, you know, hopped in the car, to, and she probably put it on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, Twitter, whatever she posted on there. But th I thought, that is the perfect example. She's promoting whatever she's doing that day. She literally had to fix her hair, made sure she looked good. I guess she got dressed up to go to a party. She's going to take her picture and let everybody know it. Listen, Broadway Baptist Church, we have to fight against that daily. What that says is my life is important. People need to know what I'm doing. I'm priority. My story needs to be told to everyone. That, now, for some of you laugh because y'all... <laughs> 
that, that you don't ever struggle with that, and you never will. There is a generation, I want you all to hear this, the generation behind me, my generation, that is the number one enemy. I am the most important person in the world. What I do is the world's business. You need to know it. And Jesus is telling us tonight in this scripture passage, he's saying, you need to run from that. You die to yourself. You flee that type of thinking. If you're first, if you're the number one priority, if you think you're that important, Jesus is second best. And then, therefore, you're not a disciple. You can't be my disciple thinking that way. You can't be thinking that your life is more important than His life on the cross. People who are carrying a cross aren't going around taking pictures of themselves every 20 minutes. That's not the picture that Jesus describes here about what Christian discipleship. Dying to discipleship is a life in Christ. When you die to yourself, you actually live in Jesus. I like, I'm a Tom Rainer fan. Tom Rainer, last story here. Tom Rainer is the president of Lifeway. We have somebody in our church who works for Lifeway. That's Miss Megan Davis. She works for Lifeway there in Nashville. And he wrote this little book called Scrappy Church. And the story of this is any church, no matter what size, what location, where you're at, wherever you're at, can have an impact. And it's a very encouraging book. And he, he talks about a couple of challenges that churches have to address today. And he talks about closing the back door at your church. And this book just came out a few months ago. He says one of the greatest issues, and he, this guy's a researcher, he goes out and researches this. <clears throat> when we think of people leaving the church, most folks, this is how folks actually slip out the back door of a church. Now, obviously, some people move. Some people obviously go to be with the Lord, and that's understandable. They're no longer here, but that's not how most, most folks happen. What happens to a lot of folks, the real danger is, maybe at one point you were very active in church. You came three out of four Sundays or even four out of four Sundays. Some of you come six out of four Sundays, if that's possible, meaning you're always here at church. You're just, just faithful, faithful, faithful. And that's wonderful. That's a blessing. There was once a time where, if you, I mean, standard church attendance. Remember the little pins? I used to, when I was a, a child, I got these little pins for perfect attendance, and you had them, they don't do that anymore at Sunday school. You came to Sunday school over and over again, you received those little pins. They even do that for adults at one point. So, I mean, that was, you, you checked the roll. There was a sense of an expectations on the Lord's day you were going to be there. Do you know now, or in this book, if someone comes to church one out of four Sundays, once a month, that's a regular attender. A regular attender. In the good old days, if you came one out of four Sundays, the Grove Visitation team's knocking on your door. You're losing your membership. Something's wrong. You need to make a rededication and walk the aisle. They're not here anymore. And what's happened is the frequency of folks, at one point folks were coming all the time. The frequency of church attendance is now getting less. So the back door, in many ways for folks, what happens 
is when you start going to church once a month, and you start going once every seven or eight weeks, it's very easy to go from once a month to then once a season. And then once a season to once a year. Yet the whole time, these folks in their mind think, oh, I go to church, I'm, I'm a member, I'm active. When in fact, not at all. You're an inactive church member. The, following Christ, one of the requirements of, that Jesus Christ is demanding of us is that He wants us to be completely committed to Him, first and foremost. Secondly, He wants us to be committed to His church. Jesus created and established a local church. You connect in a body. Do you know what Tom Rainer's solution to that? When people are connected, either in a Sunday school class or in a small group class, they have more glue to them, meaning they're more sticky. They're here to stay more. They have a network of friends. Sunday school or discipleship group or small groups, whatever folks call them now, or life groups, whatever you want to call it, that's the glue that holds churches together. Our Sunday school is a strength of Broadway. We have incredible Sunday school teachers here. We promote Sunday school. We talk about it. It's, it's commended for that. And what happens for us, we have to be able to say, self-evaluation for us as disciples, and I think the message that Jesus is trying to tell us, we have to say, Lord, at one point, was I this believer that was completely committed to you and your local church and leading my family and growing daily? It's a new year. For some of you, it might be a commitment. You need to make a commitment to Sunday night church. Say, I'm going to be here. I'm going to go through the Gospel of Luke. I want to know what God has to say for me, what it means to be a disciple. The Gospel of Luke is a, Luke on, a book on discipleship. Jesus Christ is calling and commanding you to follow Him. I'm going to close this in prayer, but I'm going to tell you three things I'm going to pray for, some prayer requests here. Number one, Bill Eads in our church, his cancer has returned. Bill's struggling. In fact, a lot of people are stepping up helping. I've even, like, you know, throughout the week, we've been helping out cleaning the church. He, he's, not, he's, he's not able to put hardly any time anymore. Uh, I don't even think he's locking up tonight. I think Drex is. I mean, he's just not here very much. He's very weak. He has to sit down. Even when he comes, he'll only be here a couple hours and he can leave. So I had a long talk with him on Thursday about it, and he's just, he's just, he's very weak right now. Our administrative assistant, Jennifer Edwards, her mother had a stroke this afternoon, and um, she texted me and was telling me this. Um, she, I think she lives with her mother, and her mom has a stroke. I, she, I think she's at Baptist Health right now, Brother Hurd. I think they um, uh, might have a, uh, they were waiting to see if they were going to admit her. So Jennifer was home with her and noticed her, I think her left side of her face just went, went numb and they, they took her to the hospital. And <clears throat> the last prayer request, I'm going to write these down. I can't remember, but I'm going to close this in prayer and we're going to pray for those two and we're going to especially lift up Bill. He right now, he really needs us. Jennifer sent me a text and sa said that she's going, to be, you know, she's going to be okay because they caught it early. So let's bow our heads and especially pray for those two. God, we come to you tonight. I thank you for this message here. Lord, this is a gospel call to be a disciple. Lord, you have commanded us to take up our cross 
and follow you. Lord, we fight against selfishness in our priorities. Lord, right now I pray for Mr. Bill Eads. He has cancer. He is struggling. He is weak. We lift him up. Lord, I just pray that you just just guide him. Lord, you strengthen him. Lord, you just help Mr. Bill find rest and hope and comfort in you. Help our church step up these weeks ahead and help him clean around here the building. Lord, we pray for Miss Jennifer Edwards, our church administrative assistant. We pray for her mother this afternoon. She had to go to the hospital to have a stroke with a with a stroke. We just pray that thankfully they caught it early. Pray they're able to reverse all the effects. We lift up Jennifer, her mother. Lord, we give you this invitation we're about to have. Lord, you call us to publicly respond. Lord, you have called us to live a life that puts you above everything else. And I pray tonight that this group, we will be serious about being a disciple. Lord, we will be a church that's reproducing, making disciples. Lord, help us realize that church attendance, faithfulness to you, not falling out that back door, not slipping away, is important to you. It's so easy to fall away in this world. The, the pull just yanks us away with other priorities. Lord, we give you this invitation. I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. We're going to have our invitation. David Dale is going to lead us in a song. I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. We're going to close our search to this. As always, I'll be waiting down front. This is your opportunity to respond to the gospel. You can join our church. You can come forward and make a decision. We'll sing just as I am. Just as I am. Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark one, to Thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. I now remembered. You know, I forgot an announcement this morning. I forgot a prayer request night, but I remember both of them. This morning, my final announcement was Rick Hawthorne this week is taking, I should have remembered the announcement was about Rick. He is taking down Christmas decorations this week. If you're able to help, I don't know which day, but if you're able to help, just call the church office and say, hey, I can certainly help out, and he'll tell you what day. Because we have a lot of Christmas decorations, and this is the week they're supposed to be coming down. So it'll probably be several days throughout the week. This will be great, um, a great, great time to help. The second uh, thing, that was from this morning, the second thing from tonight, um, Angela Marshall, um, her father, yes, or it, was, it was Friday afternoon, he had a massive heart attack and died unexpectedly. He, was, he lived in winter or New Haven, uh, Kentucky. That's out past Bardstown. 
And what happened was Angel, this is Kevin Marshall's wife. Angel calls her dad every day and said this week, like on Thursday, she called him and she didn't get an answer. So she knew something was right and just kept on going throughout the day and said something seemed fishy. She hadn't heard anything. So I think the next day she still hadn't heard anything. So she said, okay, I'm calling the police. So she called the local sheriff's department police and they went and knocked on the door and nobody came. So they actually broke down the door and he had passed he had a heart attack there in the living room. He had passed away, been uh, passed away for up to 36 hours. So be praying for uh, Angela Marshall, Kevin Marshall. That's just uh, tragic. He was only 72 years old. It's uh, unfortunate that that had to happen. So th- those, were, uh, those were my two forgetful uh, moments, I guess, for that. All right, Dave, we'll have our closing song. Right, we're going to sing together, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Good night. <laughs>